But I don't know. What about you? What about you? We're here today. Uh, we've sung. We've focused on Jesus. And here we are. Uh, the message this morning is a, a thought-provoking question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Now, immediately some things can come to mind about maybe what non-Christians might view being a Christian would, would be. And it's not always a pretty picture. Maybe they think hypocrite. Maybe they think holier than thou, judgmental, uh, weak, narrow-minded, no fun, uptight. Is that what a Christian is? Maybe that's what is happening out there. The enemy has done a really good job of convincing people to stay away from the truth. See, a, a Christian that is truthful would know how to live according to how Christ has said in his word. But the enemy has put in to the minds of people that are not believers the visible physical things of the world to distract them from seeking any type of truth about what Christ was all about. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we need you. I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, if there would be somebody in here that is not a Christian, that would say no to that question, that they would open their heart and understand what it means to be a true Christian. Lord, that we would stop falling for the enemy's deception, to stop thinking that Everything is here and now. But Lord, help us to know the spiritual things that are going on around us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Speak to us. Empty me and may this be you speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Geico has put out a tremendous amount of money, but I'm sure they have thought in their minds they've gained a lot of money coming back into them by a a commercial advertising scheme. And it starts out with a picture of Tarzan and Jane in the jungle. And quickly you see them start to argue about which way on the rope they need to go. And the Geico commercial comes on, the voiceover says, if you're Tarzan and Jane, you fight over directions. It's what you do, right? Maybe you've seen the other one with uh, the pirates and the parrot. And the parrot starts repeating everything truly that the pirate has said. And all the, the pirates around him have discovered the truth of what he's really been saying, and he's quick to deny it. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And the the voiceover says, if you're a parrot, you repeat things. It's what you do, right? Um, if you're a mom, you call at the worst time. It's what you do. Uh, if you're a golf commentator, you whisper. It's what you do. 
If you have alligator arms, you avoid picking up the check. It's what you do. Well, if you would indulge me, I've come up with a few of my own. Maybe Geico would pick up on this or something. But if you're 14 and under, you have a cell phone and maps. You play Pokemon Go. It's what you do. If you look at the candidates running for president, you pray for Jesus to come back. It's what you do. If you're a mom on a Friday night with the kids, you play games, read books, make crafts. It's what you do. If you're a dad on Friday night with the kids, you go to a movie. It's what you do. Uh, If you're a Baptist, you eat fried chicken. It's what you do. What about this? If you have an argument on the way to church, you get out of the car, you put the church face on. It's what you do. Don't have to raise your hand if that was you this morning. What about this? Your whole family's getting up. You're going to church. I don't know, maybe students, maybe some of you have felt this way sometime. You really don't want to go, so you hope at least they'll sing your favorite song or the pastor's sermon will be the shortest one he's ever preached. Well, I can't promise that this morning, but it's what you do. How about this one? Somebody tells you that he or she is a Christian, and you assume they are. It's what you do. Somebody tells you a Christian. But are they really? Are you a Christian? This is arguably the most important question ever in the entire world in the human course of living. And yet some people don't even know that's the most important question. Now we know the end of the story because the Bible tells us there were books that were opened, right? And if your name is not found in that book of life, You will not enter into heaven. But maybe if you were speaking to people on the street, hey, are you a Christian? Um, Sure, yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm a good person. I mean, I, I, I go to church on holidays and stuff like that. You get asked if you're a Christian. You say, yeah, I guess. It's what you do. That's the culture that we're living here in America. Well, I'd like to rewind with you. Um, We're going to have some fun this morning. Um, Today, um, in order to get to the main passage that we're going to look at, we need to do some rewinding and set the context for where we're going. So let's rewind all the way back to the spiritual things of the world that's going on. God, his angels, you have Lucifer, and he tries to usurp the authority of God. God says, no, he's banished. A third of the angels go with him. Boom. We see this happen. Then God makes Adam and Eve. What's the enemy want to do? He wants to come up, counter move. He wants to make a move. And guess what? We fall. There's sin. God, now wrap your mind around this. God makes man and woman. Why? For relationship with them. And the enemy wants nothing more to just disrupt, break everything down, seek, kill, and destroy. And he does that in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Yet, here's the thing. God wanted relationship with us and knew what it would cost him, and yet he still goes through with it. Wow. That is a loving God. Loving God. 
So we see in the series of things that follow, there's a consequence. They're banished from the Garden of Eden. Here they go. Then there's prophets that come along. They're telling about there's going to be this Redeemer. There's going to be this Messiah who's going to save the world. And it gets misconstrued by the after 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus shows up. And it gets misconstrued that this Messiah would be this political conquering hero to deliver them from the oppression that's on them from the Romans. And so here comes Jesus. Turn to the book of Mark. Chapter 1. We're going to do some skimming, okay, to get to the context. Like I said, where we're going to go. Let's look at the life of Jesus, okay? Now, if you have your seatbelts on, you're good to go. Let's buckle up. We're going to go fast and furious through this. Mark and I'm, I'm just warning you, our, our main text is not Mark 24, so or Mark 13, wherever it goes, 16, whatever. We're, we're going to get there. Just, just hang on with me. Here you see Jesus come on the scene. It kind of starts out with his baptism, you see, in verse 9, right? After he's baptized, then you get into verse 12, and he's, he's tempted, see? So here's the spiritual things going on, and I want you to be real aware of this as we're going forward. It's not just the here, now, visible, physical. There's a spiritual thing going on. Jesus gets baptized. Well, the enemy's recognizing this, and he wants nothing more than to destroy what's going to happen to the work of Jesus, right? So Jesus, he gets baptized. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, i got to do something. So he tempts Jesus in the wilderness. For 40 days, he's in there fasting, and then he's tempted by Satan. Um, and then the angels come and minister to him. So there's spiritual things happening already. Um, then he goes into Galilee and he says, repent and believe in verse seven in the gospel. Then guess what? The disciples are called. All right. You get Peter and Andrew on the scene. They're, they're like fishing. And in verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Hey, listen, if Jesus comes up to you and says, Hey, follow me, you follow. It's what you do. Right? Okay? <laughs> they're, they're following him. So then they go, and uh, he, he recruits some more people. And then, verse uh, 21, you get into this story in Capernaum, where he's actually casting out demons. Again, recognize the spiritual things that are happening here. And then, check this out, in verse 24, saying, the demons, right, they cry out, let us alone. What do we do to, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Look at this. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, there's a lot of Christians out there that think, or maybe they think they're a Christian, and they know there's a God, and they know He's holy. Even the demons believe that, right? Wow. All right. But Jesus rebuked him, said, be quiet. All right, come out of it. Then he goes on, verse 29, and he heals Peter's mother. Did you guys know Peter was married? All right, if you didn't know that, Peter was married. Jesus healed his mother-in-law, all right? So, had a fever, left him, or or left, uh, the fever left her. Then he starts healing. Look at this, verse 32 through 39, he's healing. Then a leper is cleansed. Wow, so he keeps, and then they were coming to him, verse 45, at the end of verse 45, they were coming to him from every direction. This healer is on the scene. And people start hearing, I got healed by this guy. Yeah, there's this healing going on. So people start coming from every direction to him. Then a paralytic, remember the guy through the roof, he comes down, he's lowered through the roof. He says, your sins are forgiven. 
spiritual things going on, right? And they start going, whoa, wait a minute, this guy's a blasphemer. Whoa, let's watch out for this guy. Then, verse 13, call, the, he calls Matthew. He's just walking by the tax office. And here's Matthew, he says, come on, follow me. Matthew gets up, starts following him, right? That's amazing. It's like all his other disciples have been like, that's cool. Wow, he just got up and followed it. So he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And then verse 18, the disciples of John, they're fasting and, and they're wondering why the disciples aren't fasting. And, and so Jesus explains this hard kind of, you know, this thing to them. And, and so he's, he's actually interpreting hard questions for them to understand. Then you get into the controversy of the Sabbath. You know, and working on the Sabbath, and Jesus, he, he's like feeding, he, he's eating on the Sabbath day, and they get, he gets ridiculed for that, and then he heals this guy on the Sabbath, and gets criticized for that, and and then the Pharisees start coming, like, like okay, we got to destroy this guy because he's not following our rules, right? And so, look at verse uh, chapter three. We're in chapter three, verse six. Now, at the end of that, they say they figure out how they might destroy him. Wow. Here's, he's, he's doing all these things, these miracles and all that. And they're like, let's destroy him. Get him out of here. Then down at, at, at verse 9, he told, check this out. I, this one stood out to me. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. Visualize what's going on here. Mounds and mounds of people are coming up to him. And they will literally just crush him. That's how popular this you know, that Jesus is, all right. And so he's like, get a, a boat ready in case I need to spring on out. We get, we get a, you know, hightail it out of here. And and then verse eleven, the unclean spirits again. Whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, "You are the Son of God." The demons even know Jesus is the Son of God. Understand this. Understand this. So then he selects all the twelve. We, we see all the disciples are named, and then verse twenty, the multitude came together again, and they that they could um, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. They were trying to get him, for they said, "What? He's out of his mind. He's crazy. This guy." So then he talks about the unpardonable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Um, then he comes to, to a place, verse 30, this is chapter 3, verse 31. Keep following me. We're, we're moving fast. I told you to buckle up. Here we go. And his brothers and his mothers come, and they call for him. And he says, wait, who are my brother, brothers and mothers? They're right here with me. Ouch. That must have hurt. Think about James. James is his brother. All right? James grew up with him. Always the perfect kid, right? Yeah. You, you must have must feel for James, the resentment that he had, right? And ja- never does wrong. Oldest child. Yeah, thanks. You know, James lived it with this, with Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, he's like, you're not my brother. You're not my mother. Man, that must have hurt James. But watch the turnaround that James did later on, right? Then he starts getting into teaching, the parable of the soils, right? Um, the, the seeds that were thrown. Check this out. This one, pretty key. Which is chapter 4, verse 18. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. Remember those seeds that were dropped among the thorns? They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. 
entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Does that not describe our culture? Seeds are being thrown. But people care more about this world than what's going on spiritually. He talks about the lamp. Don't hide the lamp. Talks about the growing seed. Parable of the mustard seed. I'm going fast now. Then, check it out. We get to verse 35 of chapter 4. And here it is. He says, let's cross over to the other side. They get in. They get in the boat. The storm comes up. He's sleeping. They wake him up. Boom. Hey, don't you care if we die? All right. Whoa. Where, here. He, he says, peace, be still. There was a great calm. He says, why are you so afraid? I mean, I'm just thinking about it. He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. He didn't say, let's get in the boat and drown halfway in the middle, right? So, so trust his promises when he says something. Let's get in the boat, go over to the other side. They're all scared in the middle, being fearful that they're going to die. Wake him up. He says, peace, be still. And look at this, what they said. Verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Hey, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here's the disciples seeing all this take place. Miracles upon miracles, healings, all this. And now the winds even obey him. They're looking at each other going, Who is this guy? Who is this? Then you got the demons cast into the swine. Another personal favorite story of mine. But look at what he says here. When he, verse six, chapter five, verse six, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him and he cried out with a loud voice. This was the demon possessed man. So the demon possessed man says in a loud voice, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The demons, again, are recognizing who Jesus is. Wow. Then verse 16 of chapter 5. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. They began to plead with him to depart from their region. They kicked Jesus out. You ever felt rejected? You ever felt a little bit insecure? Jesus had every right to feel that way. A group of people, the whole town comes out and says, get out. We don't want you here anymore. Yet one man's life, a demon-possessed man who had no hope, living in the tombs, was saved. Saved. Wow. So then he heals Jairus' daughter. And then a woman with a, a bleeding issue comes and just touches him. And he feels the power go out of him. And he, he, he figured out who it was. And she's healed. And then Jairus' daughter, well, that was the first part of Jairus' daughter. And then the, the full action happens. Jairus' daughter is healed in 35 through, uh, through the end of that chapter. Jesus then is rejected at Nazareth. Here he is again, rejected. And look at chapter 6, verse 3. Is this not the car- carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Isn't he just a carpenter's son? Look at them thinking of the physical, physical things, visible things of of the world, not the spiritual. And look at what happened here, verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. You know what amazes Jesus? Either your belief or your unbelief. It marvels him. Wow. Wow. He can look at you and be like, wow, look at your unbelief, or wow, 
Look at her belief or his belief. Hmm. Then the twelve are sent out to go and serve. Then, verse 14 of chapter 6, Now King Herod heard him. He heard of him. For his name had become well known. Now Jesus' name's starting to get out there, okay? And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it's Elijah. And others said, it's the, it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. But look, Herod was convinced, verse 16. But when Herod heard, he said, Nah, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. John, or King Herod was convinced it was John the Baptist. And he goes on to explain how John the Baptist was executed. Then the twelve returned from serving. And man, they were casting out demons. They were doing some amazing things. The 5,000 are fed. I'm telling you, we're getting there. Just hold on with me. Then the 5,000 are fed. There's 12 baskets full left. And they're like, wow, how did that happen? Jesus walks on the water. They're like, that's cool. Peter gets out and says, I want to try this. Hey, so he gets out. And, and then he's like, "What? Well, you have little faith. Yeah, so Jesus walks on water. Then Jesus heals at the city Gennesaret. And, and again, more healings. Pharisees. He talks to the Pharisees, tells them in chapter 7, verse 6, he uses Isaiah. Look at this. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Did you wake up today, come to church out of routine? Because it's what you do? Are we becoming pharisaical? Help us, God. Help us not to just come on Sunday morning out of a routine, out of just a religious act. Because that's what we are then. We're people honoring with their lips, but could our hearts be far from Him and we worship in vain? Could that be us? We've got to be careful. So he goes on, and he heals over in verse 24, the the daughter of of this Phoenician. Then a a mute man is healed, and then he feeds 4,000 people in chapter 8. And the Pharisees want a sign. All right, you just got to give us a sign. Isn't that us sometimes? Lord, just give me a sign. Just tell me. Tell me what you want me to do, right? And then the disciples don't understand some things that are going on, so he helps try and help them with that. And then a blind man is healed. This is chapter 8, verse 23. We're almost here. Chapter 8, verse 22. Came to Bethsaida and brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he, Now this is, this is, we're getting into something. To me, I'm like, man, this can be a cruel joke. All right, watch what happens. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on him again and made him look up, and he was restored. Do you see that, what happened just there? He half healed a man. He half healed a man. I'm thinking, what on earth? Why would you do that, Jesus? That's just wrong. I mean, just to half heal him and then come back and just heal him again. But do you see? His disciples were half seeing at that point. 
They were half seeing everything going on. They were like trying to figure it out. Because even back in, Mark, uh, when they when he healed the storm, who is this man? He even can control the wind and the waves. They're still seeing fuzzy. And when did it become clear? When Jesus died, rose again, the Holy Spirit descends on them. Wow, were their eyes open. They saw it clearly. Now, here is where we are. All right, Mark 8. Thank you for the context here, the building up. This is where we're at. Mark 8, verse 27. Now Jesus' disciples went out of the towns of, or out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. Let's stop there. Caesarea Philippi. I've got some pictures. I want you to see where, where they're at here. Okay, so Nazareth is down at the bottom. All right, you got the Sea of Galilee, which is the body. If you can't see that, the Sea of Galilee is the bottom one. Up there, I believe that's a Dead Sea. Is that right? Dead? Huh? Oh, the other way? Oh, oh, it's down further. That's right, that's right. Up here, um, if you look at the arrow, Caesarea Philippi, all right, it's, it's labeled Benias. That's where we're at, okay? Now, check, check out, I, we have some modern day pictures here. This is where, this is where they're at. What a beautiful place. Now, if you look at these waters, this is the headwaters where the Jordan River begins. One of the places that feeds the Jordan River. Now, who got baptized in the Jordan River? Jesus did. That's pretty cool. This is where they're at Caesarea Philippi. It's at a, it's at a plateau, a, a base of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was about 9,000 feet up. We're talking the Rocky Mountains elevation. All right. Mount Hermon is back here. Caesarea Philippi is in the foothills here. Look at this large rock wall. All right. Go on. Next picture. We zoom in. Look at these carvings inside these rocks. Now, do you know what went in those? Idols. Idols. Statues. You can see where they're cut out, okay? And this last picture here, let's see, go ahead, the next one. Okay, now this is the painting of what it probably looked like back in the time Jesus is starting to walk through with his disciples. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Left, on the left, is the Temple of Augustus. All right. Now, behind that temple of Augustus, it's the cave of the god of Pan. You see a little black area right above the roof of the temple. That's a cave um, of the god of Pan, or a god called Pan. Right to the right of the temple of Augustus, there's the court of Pan and nymphs. In the middle is the temple of Zeus. All right, so the one with pillars there in the middle, that's the Temple of Zeus. Right of the Temple of Zeus, the flat area there, Court of Nemesis. Now, the upper right, Tomb Temple of Sacred Goats. All right, now the bottom right is the Temple of Pan and the Dancing Goats. Now, Pan and Dancing Goats, they did record some albums and they got to the number one chart. But anyway... So this is the type of place that we're in, all right? And Jesus is walking through with his disciples and asks them a question. Who do men say that I am? Who who are the people saying that, that I am? In the light of all these idols and all this visible, physical stuff, 
who do, the, who do the people say that I am? Well, look what he answered. So they answered, verse 28. John the Baptist, some say, some say Elijah, others the prophets. All right? So back then, back then, what were they saying? John the Baptist, prophets, Elijah. You know, because Elijah, now there's a legitimate thought to Elijah because he got taken up in the whirlwind, right? He didn't die physically. He got taken up in the whirlwind, so... Yeah, that makes sense. This could be Elijah, right? So that's what the people back then are saying. What about today? What about today? What are people saying? I actually watched a word on the street video as they took it in the streets of New York City. This is what some of the people were saying. Oh, isn't he that white guy with a beard? Oh, he looks like he's from the 60s. Isn't that Jesus? Um... Some another one said, "Oh, he's not that guy. What that guy that with the blonde hair that all the pictures show him to be." Somebody said, "Just oh, Jesus is just a story made up by someone that got blown out of proportion." Some I don't even know who that is. Oh, wasn't he a good moral person? And, and you know, he possibly had some special gift. Wasn't he kind of like that Gandhi guy? This is the word on the street of who Jesus is. Now, we just saw who Jesus was, right? What he was doing. But it comes to the point then that Jesus asked the follow-up question. He looks at them, his disciples, in verse 29. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter... I love Peter. He's the one. Ooh, 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 ooh. He's the one in Sunday school class who wants to answer the, the questions. I got this one. I got this one. You are the Christ. The son. And in Matthew 16, the account there, it talks about you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So he got the answer right, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Question for you. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's watch this video. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. C.S. Lewis. Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the question. That's the question. Was he a real person? What did he say? What did he do? What made him so special? What made it different than any other man in history? The records show. His birth was a miracle. His mom was a virgin and she was pregnant. He made the blind see. The deaf hear. The mute speak. The paralyzed walk. He healed terrible diseases. He knew what was in men's minds. He knew what was in men's hearts. He knows what is in men's hearts. He knew the story of people's lives without ever having met them. He spoke with authority. He amazed teachers. He amazed everyone. Nature obeyed him. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He walked on top of the water. He could change the weather. He fed 5,000 people from one lunchbox. He brought people who were dead 
back to life. He loved sinners. He loved everyone. 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 He forgave sins. He never made a mistake. He never once sinned. But we judged him. We whipped and beat him. We spit on him. And we killed him. He loved us anyway. He loves us anyway. He died for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He paid for our sins with his life. Did I mention he loves us? He came back to life. He was dead. Then he was alive. A lot of people saw him. He is coming back. Who is Jesus? That's a big question. That's the big question. What does it even matter? What does it matter to you? Who is Jesus? My answer doesn't matter to you. Only your answer matters to you. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? You're going to have to do something with that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, there's, I've heard this before. There's three options that you can deal with when it comes to Jesus. And, and this is in your notes if you just want to write these down. Number one, either he's a liar. He came and he said all these things, spoke all these things, did all these things, and he lied. That's one thought. Number two, he was just crazy. Lunatic. Did you, did you read when we were going through the context? This man's out of his mind. That's what some people believed. And that's what people are believing out here on the streets. Oh, I, don't need, I don't need Jesus. But the last one. Or he is Lord. Lord. Imagine this. Imagine this. Come on up, Andrew. Braden doesn't know I'm going to do this, but Braden, come up here for a second. All I need you to do is sit right here. Imagine this. He's Lord. There was a time in Jen and I's life where Braden was our only son, our one and only son. And knowing that God would have relationship with you, he willingly, gave up his one and only son to be killed, beaten, and taking all of our wrongdoings. He pursued us for a relationship just to be Lord, just for us to be willing to say, God, Jesus, you are Lord. You're not a liar. You're not a lunatic. What happened in these scriptures was real. And you are Lord. This is not our invitation hymn, but would you just stand? Would you just stand to your feet reverently? Can we sing this together? We're going to come back to this. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene.
Jesus is Lord, or He should be Lord of our lives. 
that he would give his one and only son. And that demands an action from us. Not just to believe, but to act on that. The demons even believed. Now what do we do? So there's one question that the the question becomes, who does Jesus say you are? Who does Jesus say you are? Are you one of his children? Are you one of the ones he's adopted back from the grips of sin and condemnation and rescued you? Man, if he's rescued you, I just think about it. I think, I think about the Coast Guard and how they go out and if there's a ship in distress, they go out, they rescue these people and, and they get them back to safety. They, and for that person who was rescued to never do one thing about the rescuer. See, there's so many people out here They don't know the rescuer. They might not even know they need rescuing. Jesus calls us, repent and be baptized. Now we went back. Peter, remember him? Ooh, 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 I got this one. I got this one, right? Peter at Caesarea Philippi. Peter. He looks at him after he says, yeah, you're you're the son of the living God. You're the Christ. And God, or Jesus, looks at him and says, God has revealed that to you. Thanks be to him. And guess what? At that moment, he looks at Peter. Watch what's going to happen, Peter. On you, I'm going to build my church. On you, I'm going to build my church. Your name's going to be Peter. Rock. And here's Peter standing before a over a hundred foot rock wall. And he's going, wow. Who does Jesus say you are? He looked at Peter and said, I'm going to use you, Peter. You're one of mine. And watch what I'm going to do with you. Peter, around the day of Pentecost, he's preaching to all these people. And said, you killed the Christ. You killed the one, the rescuer. And it says all the people were cut to their heart. So what do we do? What do we do? He says, repent. Be baptized. Repent. At the very heart of repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. Turn to the Lord. And then, you know what's amazing? We start focusing on relationship and not religion. It's not religion, it's relationship. You woke up this morning. All right, it's Sunday morning. We're doing our routine. We're getting up, going to church. Or was it? Thank you, God, no matter what happened in my week. I get to go with people that are like-minded, that love the Lord, and I get to sing praises to you because you rescued me. You rescued me from my sin, and I have something to be thankful for. 
my relationship with you. It's like the cake was being made all during the week and here's the icing. What's your cake look like? Some of y'all left your cake at home. Because it's relationship. All throughout the week. And Sunday morning, it's just a, a body of people wanting to just express to the Lord, thank you for what you've done. So the question isn't, it's what you do. You get up, you come Sunday morning, it's what you do. The question becomes, what's God going to do through you? The Lord loves you. And if you're allowing Him to be Lord of your life, look out. Now you go to your co-workers. Hey, are you Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. I mean, do you have a relationship with the Lord? When we were at trail days at the Damascus trip, we're washing the, the feet of these Appalachian trail hikers. And Bobby Powell is washing the feet of one of these men. And he calls over, hey, Tim, come on over here. So I come walking over. He says, Tim, I want you to meet so-and-so. I meet him. And Bobby says, yeah, he says he's a Christian Buddhist. Like, oh, all right. Well, tell me about that. Tell me about that. See, this guy grew up in, in Japan. He, he, he knew the Buddhist culture. But he knew the Christian culture. He knew the Jesus culture. He knew the teachings. He likes the teachings of Buddhism and Christianity. So he thinks he's a Christian Buddhist. Folks, we, I, I looked at the man after I heard everything he was t- saying. I said, sir, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought that you can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe and the one who made you through what Jesus did on the cross? Looked at me. I never thought about that. He knew nothing about relationship. It was about religion. Don't assume. Matthew chapter 7 says, they were preaching, they were casting out demons in my name. And I looked at them and I said, depart from me, I never knew you. You can know all there is to know about God. The demons knew. But does he know you? Who does Jesus say you are? You one of his children? That's the question. That's got to be dealt with here today. If your relationship, maybe it's weak, worn, tired, calloused. You're not spending time with God in the, in the Bible. You're not praying like you maybe had been before. It's like any relationship, right? You've been married for quite a number of years. You cultivate, cultivate that relationship. Spend time in that relationship. It's all about relationship. How's your relationship with God? He's asking you. This is you and Him. We like to put God in boxes. Keep Him here at church. Not let Him in to all the decisions we need to make in our lives every day. We have got to break down that wall. Allow God to be Lord in everything. Let's pray. God, This invitation, this invitation is you saying to us, who do we say that you are?
You want to know who we are because you love us, you pursue us, and you sent your one and only Son to die for us. God, thank you. Thank you for being our rescuer. I pray that you would convict hearts today to action, not just simply do nothing, but to be called to action and do something about you, our rescuer. Move in this place, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.